Easton is back. Christian is back. You wouldn't get it is back for its fourth episode. And today we got another exciting one and change of pace from what we've been talking about. And that's kind of what we've been wanting to do in these earlier episodes, trying to keep each episode different from one another right now, especially just to find out what you guys as fans like the most. So Easton, want to take it away with what we will be discussing today? Of course. Yeah. So keeping you on your toes, switching it up. It's what we like to do around here. Um, today, we're going to kind of talk about the evolution of hip-hop music and just kind of all the different prongs to it throughout history. Um, this one's interesting to both of us because I would say we're both fans of the genre of music, but it's really had a pretty unique timeline when you consider how recent it is and how much it's sort of developed over the decades. Um, you know, there's definitely plenty of other genres we could talk about. Uh, but, you know, I feel like for a podcast episode, this is the only one that the timeline kind of fits. It, you know, if we did rock, we would probably have a four hour episode. So, <laughs> well, yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. Let's get, let's get into it. Um, the first thing we're gonna we're gonna tackle is we're sort of just gonna go on the timeline of hip hop music. Um, the first thing that really most websites and people recognize as the start of it start in quotes because that's very debatable with this genre. But the 1970s, um, when it kind of popped up in the Bronx in New York, also known as underground rap or hip hop. Uh, lot of good tunes there and it that's really i think the reason christian that they call this the beginning is because this was the first time where it kind of had its own culture to it would you agree oh i'd completely agree and you have these names of the 70s that really stick out you got curtis blow who i believe was actually the first hip-hop artist uh, to sign with the label and then you have groups like grandmaster flash and these are like artists that really stick stick out and you look at as the beginning of this genre and like you were saying you touched on it a little bit this genre could go all the way back to even 1920s 1930s if you don't want to be very specific with the themes and the timeline of it but even artists like james brown and aretha franklin started towards the end of their careers to use some of these hip-hop elements but yeah the 70s are looked at in my opinion as I guess that first big era where people were really starting to recognize this as its own genre. Yeah, and I think that that's partly in due to, and I could be completely botching this, but just from reading into things, so obviously the 70s was very well known for being the DJ era. So you got a lot of DJs at that time starting to make their own music, make some mix-ups, uh, spin-offs of other songs. And I think that sort of opened the door for lyrically people to be creative, too. Um, so you've got, you know, some more fast paced music. Um, and like I said, you know, remixes where you know everyone says the classic saying, cut the tape or run that back. Like people being talented at DJing to where they could kind of maneuver music in different ways. And so, yeah, that opened the door for the lyrics and people got creative and it, it became kind of a culture and so through that 70s era you have a lot of these djs who are kind of credited with making this hip-hop music and 
we'll move right on into the 80s now, it started getting a little territorial, right? So, yeah, and even you you touched on this before the episode when we were talking a little bit. You have kind of the beginning, I don't know if you want to use the word divide, but almost a divide between you got the East Coast rappers, the West Coast rappers, and you have just different genres coming out of both of these different areas. And the 80s is when hip-hop in general really started to pick up speed. It was kind of that first golden era, I guess you could say. And even bands like the Beastie Boys are an example of a group who really put a spin on things and start taking hip-hop in different directions. So I'd say the 80s was an era where people started getting more experimental with the sound, and we started to hear a lot of different things in this genre, and a lot a lot of different subgenres came of it. Yeah, and I think in the 80s, too, the whole culture of hip-hop began to evolve as well. So, I mean, you touched on the Beastie Boys, but kind of that, like, rebellious culture that some of these groups had started playing a big role in their music production. You know, um, most people have obviously heard of the Beast Boys. You have a group who we'll probably talk about plenty in this episode, NWA, who released their first album in the late 80s. And, you know, the significance of them need not be spoken. There's literally a whole movie about it. But I think that what was unique, going back to what we were talking about earlier, is that whole territorial thing that started in the early 80s. That wasn't just something that was like a couple years. That really, you know, went into the 90s, late 90s, even a little bit in the early 2000s. And honestly, it wasn't until recently where, you know, I don't feel like anymore there's that. Some people might try to say there is, but I don't think there's like that East Coast, West Coast divide in terms of hip hop and how they sound because legitimately in the 80s the east coast sound and the west coast sound were completely different and so it kind of opened the door for there to be that clash of heads between the two groups of rappers and i wouldn't say one sound prevailed over the other but i'd almost say that that west coast sound of hip hop not only went from the 80s but also was very very substantial in the 90s and you even have a lot of artists trying to replicate that sound today and it's it's a very unique sound and a sound that i think is one of the more iconic sounds in hip-hop in general Uh, but but like you said uh nwa obviously is a band or a group that we will be talking about a lot because of the fact that they added a lot of depth to the lyrics and the meaning behind their music that they made and whether this be politically socially this they were known for that and they brought a lot of attention to these issues and i think that is why they are most iconic and that is why they are most iconic because they weren't afraid to push the boundaries and push the barriers a little bit no not at all and they were one of the first groups i won't say the first group if you're going to talk in terms of like significance a lot of people give them credit for being this Uh because of how much they blew up but the first group to really come out with you know very explicit music and push that whole idea of like you know because at the time the whole goal was get your music on the radio like everyone wanted to get on the radio well that the, the music they were producing couldn't be put on the radio unless it was seriously edited 
but most radio stations in general didn't want to play that in the first place because of how controversial it was. Um, so they really started this whole idea of, you know, we can make music kind of, you know, really speaking to their culture and just being open with, you know, I guess the, the language and what was going on, um, specifically with NWA, you know, you talk about Compton, California, uh, but a bunch of these groups in the local areas they were at became more and more willing to kind of speak about what was going on in their community and, you know, not really shying away from trying to keep it clean. And to say the least, there was some pushback there. You know, if you've seen the movie Straight Outta Compton, a lot of places that they went, a lot of these, you know, stadium or arenas, theaters that they sold out and performed at, you literally had the the police and people of authority saying, you know, if you perform this song or if you say this lyric, we're going to shut this show down and you won't perform, even though you have thousands of people paying for that performance. That's why they're there is because they enjoy that. You know, they enjoy the music and the message. Right. It was it's funny because when you think about everything that they were discussing in their music 30 years ago, a lot of it is still very, very relevant in our current in the present era that we live in. And it goes to show that they kind of paved the way for that. And just NWA in general, obviously, discussing discussing issues um, like police brutality and just questioning authority in certain ways that not a lot of people had done or had been afraid to do. And just the idea of questioning authority in general and maybe thinking, Maybe they're not, maybe this isn't the right way, the way things are. Maybe there's better ways, different ways to do this. And obviously that's just a very baseline way of describing their lyrics and the way they went about things. But their just ideals on things really, really laid the path for hip hop in general and just social and political movements in music in general. Yeah. And I think to your point earlier, you said, you know, you don't know if, one side necessarily prevailed over the other i'm going to come out and say and sure you could point to maybe i'm a little biased because i'm from around that side of the world but i think that the west coast prevailed and it's in part because of nwa because you know Mm -hmm. you can go back and forth arguing which style of sound you like to listen to more and i think that argument you can't really make a decisive call on you know i guess which the West Coast or the East Coast who had better music. But after NWA, you had a lot of hip hop artists from that region who, you know, just blew up. And I think far more than when you look at the East Coast, because you talk about guys that were associated with this group who did their own thing as well and became extremely successful. Like, you know, your Dr. Dre's, they work with Snoop Dogg, um, the whole death row, like, Names that came out of that era in the West Coast stayed very relevant for well over a decade following that. And I mean, the, you know, the classic argument between the two sides is Tupac and Biggie Smalls, right? So West Coast and the East Coast, that's the big divide. And that one, like, truthfully, is hard to argue. But I think after the emergence of N.W.A., to me, the West Coast really dominated hip hop after that, even though not to say the East Coast wasn't relevant. But when you talk about, you know, number of records sold and the names that came out of um, those regions, 
the West Coast really took off in the late 90s, early 2000s. Absolutely. And, and you discussed Biggie Smalls and Tupac. And obviously, when you say those two names, those are the two names that you really think of as encapsulating hip hop and hip hop culture in general, because they are arguably the two biggest names. And they obviously have legacies that have lived on way past their deaths and very untimely deaths. And Dr. Dre, another one you mentioned in the early 90s, releasing The Chronic and the impact that that album had. And these are all these are all artists that were ultimately influenced in some way or another by N.W.A. And that just continues to go to show that they had such such an impact on the landscape of the culture just in general. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of people do make the argument too, like, oh, well, in the late 90s, you know, you have Jay-Z from the East mm-hmm. Coast, who obviously, you know, one of the most successful hip hop artists of, of all time, really. But I would make the argument that around the late 90s, you really had rappers not just emerging from the West Coast or East Coast, but everywhere. So, you know, late 90s, Eminem. You don't, you can't say enough about him and his impact on hip hop, mm-hmm. but just completely different style of music, like lyrically leaps and bounds beyond a lot of people. And just kind of the way he came to prominence with, you know, being from Detroit, being in these crazy rap battles and, yeah you know, making his way up through there where it was literally like, I don't want to say kind of like going through the minor leagues for a professional sport, but he, you know, started rapping at the lowest level possible. And at this level, you know, you get shamed, um, talking about him being, you know, a white guy in a predominantly African American culture of hip hop, not the easiest path, but because he was so lyrically good, people began to appreciate it, you know, people from all kinds of different backgrounds. And so, yeah, you have him from Detroit, you know, you have Lil Wayne start to emerge that time and he's out of New Orleans. So I think the whole, you know, Jay-Z being from the East Coast and bringing back the East Coast argument isn't so solid because I think at that time you start seeing rappers pop up from all over the States, not just East Coast, West Coast. Mm -hmm. And like you were saying with the late 90s, I, I would say that that seven, six, I think I believe that Tupac and Biggie Smalls died like six or seven months apart. And it was in the late 1996 to early 1997. When that happened, I think there was a proverbial shift in hip hop in general. And like you said, you had Eminem, guys like Eminem, Jay-Z, um, P. Diddy had been around, but he just started really breaking into the mainstream. Guys like that who were taking rap to a completely different era. And I think that era kind of evolved in ways through the early 2000s to mid 2000s. And you had guys like even 50 Cent who became really, really big. And he developed his own sound in general and had this kind of a trap sound that hadn't that didn't become really popular until 10 to 15 years later and and right now the trap sound is obviously very popular but that late 1990s to early 2000s completely welcomed a new sound and that continued to propel hip-hop forward in a lot of ways well and another thing that i think continued to propel it forward was the access to movement or to music and yeah absolutely of of how it was put out to the market so you know obviously 
in the 70s and 80s, even early 90s, most everything is record player, right? Um, you're distributing your music through your records. It's all about record sales. Well, here comes the CD and you have a completely different way to listen to music. You know, it doesn't just have to be played out loud for everyone. You've got, you know, you can, I'm sure you had one growing up when you were younger, but a little CD player, you throw a disc in there, <laughs> throw the headphones on. And oh, man. you can Why the iPad, the iPod Nano, baby. That yeah, is. well, yeah, then you go a little further to the iPod Nano. But this whole yeah. idea of like being able to listen to music just by yourself, even if you're in a group of people, like that, I think that whole kind of technological advance really helped hip hop because, mm-hmm. you know, some people that maybe didn't want to listen to hip hop for the concern that, like, you know, maybe their family doesn't want to hear it or something of the sort now they can listen to it and there's no problem right so i think and we'll get into this more as we go but the advances in technology really helped hip-hop as well a hundred percent even you had services like napster which was i guess the very very beginning of what you could call streaming uh and then channels like mtv which were able to highlight these artists and highlight their music and even the feuds that really started coming out of it. So I, I, the feuds of the early 2000s, you had obviously Eminem versus most people, um, Nelly and KRS-One, like a, a, a bunch of them, a bunch of them that were just in a lot of ways, super petty feuds um, with a lot of ego involved, but they, it was getting the spotlight because of you had the internet you had MTV, you had all these different platforms where people were starting to learn more and more about these artists and just what they did in their daily lives. You touched on it there, but there was a video that emerged a few years ago, and I think it was the rapper The Game that was talking about it. But basically, he said something along the lines of, you don't mess with M, talking about Eminem. Mm-hmm. And big part of the reason I think Eminem blew up is because when he released those diss tracks, there was, there was no holding back. Like he would (laughs) call people straight out and he would just attack you in weird ways that were so unconventional that, you know, usually the rebuttals to that just didn't even, didn't even come close to the level of, of lyricism that he was putting out. And I think that's partially the reason that he continued to really boom in that mm-hmm. early 2000s era, um, despite like we talked about being, you know, a white guy rapping against a bunch of black guys. Well, it was just the vulgarity of Eminem and the fact that he would say things that you you think would cross the line or even would cross the line. Um, and he would push these boundaries and keep on pushing them. And like, it was a shock factor. Like you'd hear him saying these things. And obviously I was very, very young. We were both very young when he start just really started getting out of the scene. But even like growing up and listening to this music, it was like, holy cow, like how did this stuff fly back then? Yeah. Well, yeah. And I mean, you're completely right. Cause not only was the beats and the lyrics appealing to people, but you've got a younger generation that a lot of people just listen because of the bizarre things he would somehow put together in the form of a song. Like he literally, he has probably a minute of a song where he 
talks about pulling a gerbil out of his ass. Like, yeah. and he made, he made a, an entire verse about that, that was coherent rhyming and just flowed. And it was like, how can someone do that with a concept of pulling a creature out of their butt? And I mean, and, and that's really the case with a lot of his songs. It's just concepts that really aren't relevant at all, or that have no significance that he is making you know, humorous and witty. And it's just, Mm -hmm. you know, we talked about Lil Wayne a little bit, but Lil Wayne kind of did the same thing. He's known for, for just his witty lyrics that again, you know, we were probably 12 and 13, but under our breath, we're singing the lyrics. (laughs) You're damn right. You're damn right. We're, um, yeah, the, the wordplay, Lil Wayne's wordplay, it just sticks out to me because I remember thinking back in the day, I, I can't think of specific examples. Um, and I'm sure they'd be very vulgar to say anyways, but just like hearing him say these things and thinking, how does someone think of that? Like that, it's so clever. And, and Lil Wayne, yeah, he started getting really big in the early thousands. And then you have guys like Kanye West, who also really changed the genre in a lot of ways. And he started getting really big in the early 2000s. And regardless of what you think of Kanye now, because obviously he's had his issues over the past years, but he changed the landscape with the sound that he brought into yeah. rap and hip hop. Yeah, definitely. And that, I mean, now we start talking about like the, the 2010s era um, mm-hmm. and bringing that kind of, I don't want to say electronic sound, but it is kind of in kind a sense, of, like yeah. that electronic beat sound to music to where it wasn't just like drum and snare and a, a good beat behind it, which I think there will always be a place for. But, you know, we, you talk about Kanye's song Stronger. It really yeah. did kind of kind of change the game. Um, and he was a guy that was openly, you know, not not one of those guys that could just spit it whenever, wherever yeah, yeah. he, uh, he went on, uh, what's the big radio show that's on the completely... breakfast club. Yes. He went on the breakfast yeah. club where, yeah. and they frequently have people freestyle on the breakfast club and they asked Kanye to, and he kind of just, you know, what he was honestly looked a little embarrassed, but he said, yeah. I, I'm not a freestyler. Like I, my lyrics are very planned out. I spend a lot of time writing them. Um, and he did receive some hate for that because a lot of people said, you know, he's not a, that's not true rapping then if you can't, I guess, produce lyrics off the top of your head. But no one can deny that he was successful with it. And I think that that kind of led to this genre today where a lot of these rappers are probably in the same boat. You know, I don't see all these. I think everyone is a little something anymore, like little this, yeah. little that. Yes. There's no yes. way these guys are great freestylers no. because some no. of the music now is just taking a weird turn, but they're still getting, you know, downloads. They're still putting numbers. They're still making a, an absurd amount of money on their music. Mm-hmm. So just throughout the years, the different ways that people have figured this out is really kind of astonishing. Yeah. And the thousand, the two thousands, in general, was just kind of a weird time for hip hop because I feel like it was almost a really big R and B wave, and hip hop was obviously still very big, 
And I feel like we can't go through this episode without mentioning Outcast as a group because they also had so much influence on the the genre moving forward in general. And Andre 3000, Big Boy, those two were very lyrically clever and were similar in the vein that they had a lot of depth to their lyrics and they just didn't have the very shallow lyrics that you see a lot today. And I think that's why they were so respected. Um, but kind of getting back to what I was saying, you had Kanye, you had Lil Wayne, you had Eminem, even Outkast a little bit, carrying the genre, and Jay-Z carrying the genre throughout, throughout the thousands. But then you had guys like Nelly, who started to evolve into an R&B sound. And that was also very big in the mid-2000s. Yeah, definitely. And with that, I, to me, we got to talk about really, you know, we touched on it a little bit with the CD, but it was a pretty quick turnover to digital music in terms of being able to download things. You touched on yeah. it a little, the whole streaming side and uh, Napster, right, is what the... Yeah. 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 So once that all started going, I think that because in hip hop, one of the ways to make it was kind of making your your own mixtape and getting it out there. Mm-hmm. It was really easy for these hip hop artists to adapt to the the whole idea of being able to stream music and get downloads on websites because it was, you know, not the I guess most professional way to do it, like not mm-hmm. signing with a record label or something, but it was an effective way to do it. And I think that a lot of genres fell behind there because there was this kind of age old idea that the way to do it is you have to, you know, show your talent to producers and they have to sign you to a label and then they make your music and kind of decide when you release your albums and and all of that jazz. And for a while, we're sort of just arrogant to this whole streaming and online side of things where so hip hop, you know, absolutely abused it in terms of they dominated we have to talk about you know soundcloud just a free site where people can really put out wherever put out whatever sorry um and a lot of hip-hop artists have kind of gotten their start there and a lot of hip-hop artists have gotten their start in streaming in general and i know you have a uh you're kind of a fanboy of a, a chicago boy if you wanted to go ahead and talk about that because Truthfully, I will give credit where it's due. He changed the game a little bit as well. Yeah, so I don't know if fanboy is the correct correct word to use, but Chance the Rapper coming out of Chicago was huge on the SoundCloud circuit and the underground circuit, and he was one of those first rappers to really make it big because this is a rel- relatively new. Like When you think about SoundCloud and yeah. streaming in general, it's really new coming out of the early 2010s and chance was one of those first artists who really hit it big now his sound has evolved immensely from the early days of mixtapes like acid rap and even coloring book to a last album that was really hated on by a lot of people and i think rightfully so but just the fact that he was able to get so big off of a streaming service shows the impact it did have and the impact it will continue to have in developing new artists. And even, like, I think you were talking about SoundCloud here, but just the iTunes store in general in the mid-2000s to late-2000s, you have just 
it, it was a huge platform for people to really start downloading their music and being able to pick and choose songs instead of having to go and buy records. And obviously you had like the, the auto tune era of, of T-Pain, you had Akon who were also kind of that R and B sound in the uh, early to mid to late two thousands. And that carried right over into the era of streaming and SoundCloud and the beginning of the early days of Spotify even. Yeah. And the other thing iTunes really helped with is the whole concept of their top charts. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, then artists weren't necessarily having to rely on, you know, marketing their CDs, as we talked about, or trying to get people to buy their album. Like if you made a couple good hits on one of your albums and those cracked the top charts, I mean, I don't know about you, but I know myself and many of my my friends growing up really use those top charts to find good new music because you know if you go on there even just weekly and tech check the top 50 you would find some new songs and the fact that you could select by genre so you could go into hip-hop mm -hmm. and look at the top 50 hip-hop songs at the time and you know if one had blown up in the last week and kind of jumped into there well it opens it up to get downloaded even more there were countless times i remember a song you know cracking the top 50 and it's sitting at like the 41, 36 type, you know, as when it first comes in. And then you check a week later and it's top five just because people see that and they listen to it. And then, you know, if they enjoy it, the downloads just keep increasing, keep increasing. So just the accessibility to good new music was iTunes pushed that forward years ahead of its time, really. And that is the key word, the accessibility. It just the idea that you could find a song, download that song, not have to download a whole album, kind of like I just said with getting a record. That is what pushed everything so far forward. And, and moving forward into SoundCloud, we discussed Spotify, we also discussed. But that early 2010s, I guess you could say was the next big checkpoint in rap and, and there and that sound started to develop there and that was kind of like a limbo period between the the thousands and i guess what you could say is kind of like a trap era of 2014 2015 and on but in that limbo era you had guys like drake and j cole kendrick lamar who are some of the biggest names pretty much are the biggest names in hip-hop now they all started to really get big and i know Drake had some big hits at the end of the 2000s, but he really cemented himself as a big time player in hip hop come the early 2010s. To move even further, I would say there's almost in the last few years been sort of a new wave of hip hop in itself. I talked about it before I agree. With, the, with the Lil Everythings that we have now, but like yeah. legitimately, there's such a different sound now to some of these new rappers coming out and like. I don't mean to sound like an old man, but like I <laughs> don't really have a taste for that kind of music. Well, you are though, sounding like an old man, so. Farzy, <laughs> let me get back to it. Sorry. What I was saying is, you know, throughout pretty much my whole life of listening to music, I've enjoyed hip hop music, and there never really was an era where I was like, I, you know, can't can't really find any music I enjoy out of there, but. This new era, for the most part, I, I don't really enjoy it. So I kind of see myself revolving back to 
even some of the rappers that got big in like 2014 to 2016, 17, you know, them releasing new albums is more of what I look forward to where so, you know, we have especially guys that we know that are four or five years younger than us that absolutely love this new era of hip hop. And it's kind of got that, I don't want to say whiny sound to it, but a lot of the rappers do have that like whiny uh-huh. sort of drug out sound to it. And yeah. I mean, people are eating it up, so I can't, I can't diss uh-huh. it. But to me, it's just, it's so different from what hip hop has been that I think it, they're really hitting the younger generation. And I think a lot of people who are, I don't want to say in the older generation, but like from our age, 22 years old and up, there's a good portion of people that just really don't enjoy it because it's completely different sound. Well, it's the era of mumble rap and the era of just emo rap. Uh, and those are the two sounds yeah. which are very, very prevalent. The very dark lyrics, the um, the just, uh, yeah, I guess that's the best way to say it. Dark lyrics discussing things like drugs and, and death. And, and these things have all been discussed throughout the timeline of hip hop, but now they're being discussed in much darker ways. And, and mumble rap, another thing I just said, like Future, um, even Migos a little bit, even they're, they're more of a trap sound, Lil Yachty, Lil Uzi, yeah. these are all big guys who have come up in the last couple of years. And yeah, I'd almost say that mumble rap was a short little era there, and it's now kind of moved on to that emo rap sound. And that emo rap sound was taken over by guys like uh, XXX, Tentacion, and Juice World, and guys who have ultimately passed away since. And it's kind of scary to think the the things they were talking about or rapping about, these really, really dark themes, ultimately were things that ended their life and cut their life short. So yeah. I'd almost say in some ways it's going to be a cautionary tale for a lot of these younger rappers, if you even want to call them rappers in some ways. Like you got Lil Pump, obviously, another Lil, um, and then you got 6 9 who is very, very controversial in a lot of very bad ways. Um, just a lot of young rappers who are getting involved in things that are just not good at all. Yeah. And I think there was almost two phases of this mumble rap. Cause when you, you mentioned future and Migos, you know, obviously they blew up, but they still kind of had that, you know, we talk about that trap sound to them. Correct. Yeah. Kind of 2010s to 2000, you know, 15, 16, they still had that that beat that everyone enjoyed they just brought a different way of producing the lyrics to it and you know even i myself enjoy a lot of their music but then again yeah you talked about like this new sort of emo slash emotional phase of rap and it's i would say it's even completely different from the mumble rap like in terms of the the way the beats are produced in terms of the lyrics and it's almost become like i don't want to say a contest or competition but it's legitimately who can be the most flamboyant and like just out there rapper is what's hitting big with these younger crowds and i think to touch on your point of you know the the drug abuse i think that partially has something to do with it because you've got these guys who have it in their head that the more out there and bizarre they can act and do and produce music the more successful they're going to be 
So you've got the emergence of, you know, all of these crazy new drugs that have come out that are being rapped about, which to your point, you know, it's always been a part of rap, but never to the terms of like talking about using it to to cope with like depression and stuff. I think that's a big thing that's really emerged recently is drug use in order to cope with problems. Uh You know, you have 90s, early 2000s rap where they rap about drug use, but it's almost, you know, in that, I guess, quote unquote, gangster fashion, like this, it's the gangster culture, right? There's, it's like a tough guy type of thing, but now it's become kind of like a sad guy type of thing. And that's, Mm -hmm. I think in turn, what's causing some of these ODs and Mm -hmm. um, suicides in that group of rappers is because they buy so much into that identity that it in turn, you know, ends up causing self-harm. Well, here's the thing. And I guess this may be a little rant in itself, but what, and this, it all was kind of a perfect mixture to what happened here, social media and the new sound and era. But you have so many young individuals idolizing these rappers who, in a lot of ways, are just very, very bad people. So XXXTentacion, guy, or, or 6ix9ine, who have been involved in very, very serious cases um, and even proven guilty, both of these guys, for domestic abuse, um, for pedophilia very horrible horrible things and you have these artists who are being glorified by the younger generation because the music they're putting out on social media and social media has become a very very easy way to get big and the music doesn't have to be good you just have to do something kind of like we were saying with Eminem something eye-opening something shocking and I'm thinking back a couple years ago there was a guy named like boom gang or something like that who was big on social media for doing these absurd stunts like going out in public and knocking people over or just causing a scene wrecking havoc and he tried to kind of windmill that into a rapping career and actually was decently successful in some ways and that just is a perfect I think way of describing what rap has become in some ways. It's not as much about the content anymore. It's more so about getting those clicks, getting those plays. And I guess that's what everything has become. That's just, and that's, that goes back to like clickbait titles. Just our society is all about instant gratification um, in comparison to quality in general. Right. Well, and I think the difference is, is, when you look back to the Eminem era and the absurd things he would rap about, A, it was in a way very talented how he could weave mm-hmm. lyrics together like that. But B, you know, people just knew like that's just Eminem. He's the guy is wild in his rapping. You know, he's extremely talented, but he is an out there personality. And I don't think you have a lot of people necessarily you know, wanting to be like Eminem. It was more so people enjoying Eminem. Yes. Um, and people being fans of Eminem. We go to the term Stan, you know. Okay. It, yeah. We can't go an episode with the, the hip hop episode talking about Eminem without bringing that up. But that whole idea of being a Stan. Um, mm-hmm. And now it's become more of a thing where, you know, I think that the younger generation is 
a good portion of them are legitimately trying to act like these people, and which is where the key difference is. Um, you talked about six nine or XXX Tentacion, the little whatevers. Like you've got a younger <laughs> high school and late teen generation that are trying to almost act the same as these guys, and I think that's what's you know we have a huge mental health issue right now. And I don't think that that's really hundred percent, hundred percent. These people kind of glorifying those actions, absolutely not glorifying those actions, but making it seem almost all right. That like, you know, if, if six, nine comes out and is rapping about, you know, harming himself and thinking mm -hmm. and talking about it as something yeah. that's like part of his lifestyle and, you know, he takes Molly and whatever and goes crazy. Like, as bizarre as it sounds, how many times have you heard stories of, you know, younger teens committing suicide who mm -hmm. are huge fans of these rappers and who just yeah. really take these lyrics to heart and in turn causes, again, self-harm because, you know, they can't separate the the lyrics from the lifestyle and it's people are taking music way too way too literally now where instead of just enjoying it they're trying to apply it to you know their lifestyle in every way they can and not really realizing that you know these artists are doing what they can to make a lot of money this is not, for the most part not a sustainable lifestyle right you were and you were absolutely right when you said just glorifying the word you used, the idea of depression and anxiety. And these young kids who are so easily influenced are almost, whether they have this or not, are doing it to kind of come off as edgy. And this is kind of taking away from those things in general. Uh, depression and anxiety are very, very real and very serious issues that are a big part of our society nowadays. And I feel like just these people trying to be be depressed or be anxious to be edgy in general is a horrible thing because it's discrediting people who actually suffer from these things on a day in day in day out basis well and it used to not to hop to another genre but it used to be a pretty big problem and probably still to some extent is with like the emo rock you know that's what everyone yes. associated the the emo, I guess, personality with, you know, people participating in self-harm were usually associated with that, like, kind of, not to use the term whiny again, but the whiny rock, like, sad, mm -hmm. depressing rock music as a, a coping mechanism for their problems. And now that's dipped over into the genre of hip-hop, which in this day and age is a lot more relevant than rock music. I mean, it just is simply by it the is. numbers. Like more mm -hmm. people are listening to hip hop music and it's took that that dark turn that's, you know, again, the, a good portion of people are listening to these people and they're taking it way too literally and using it um, to kind of as a motive for their actions. And it, it is pretty scary because, you know, like we talked about before, this is a fairly new generation of rappers. And for the most part, the, the guys you see making it now that are new 
fall into this genre. So I don't know when this really slows down or, or takes a stop because if the, if these guys just mm-hmm. continue to be successful, then, you know, people are going to follow the blueprint, right? That's, that's how it's always yeah. been. If someone can create successful music and talk about certain things, people are going to follow and whether they're as good as it or not, they're still, you know, it's bringing success. It's bringing money. So uh, and, and I'd I'd almost argue that that era is kind of coming to an end right now already. It, it was really big, I'd say, from yeah, I'd say our sophomore year in college to sophomore junior year in college. It was at its peak, I'd say. And with these very untimely deaths of some of the biggest artists of that sound, I, I think it's starting to shift away from that sound because uh, you got you got newer guys coming up, and, and a name we haven't really mentioned, maybe because he's got a lot of other tendencies outside of hip hop, but like post Malone or the baby or a little baby, yeah. you have a lot of new sounds. YBN, um, YBN Corday is another one or just Corday now who's more low key, but he's got a more old school sound in general. And, and that sounds starting to come back around and yeah. shift away from which was a super popular peak in yeah. that emo rap sound. And I think there's still a very big appeal to these, to the whole concept of, you know, hip hop artists being really good at rapping, being really good lyricists. You know, you have especially guys like J. Cole, who, you know, hit all the music he releases now. It seems like there's at least a few songs in every album where, you know, he directly points to this new generation of rap and how it is not to the same quality that the generation he grew up listening Mm -hmm. and there's an appeal to that right like him and kendrick lamar the two big names you put to that very good hip-hop artists very good with lyrics also trying to do the things that the late 90s rap you know aimed at in terms of bringing society into context and some of these it's these controversial issues that exist you know, they're trying to bring light to those issues and do it in a cool way. Mm-hmm. And to your point, there's always been an appeal for that. And I think that with, you know, the downfall of some of these rappers and some of the tragic events that happen, I would hope, and I do see this trend happening, that people turn back to that, like wanting mm-hmm. to enjoy hip hop music that has a message behind it, a, a message of, either awareness or a positive message. And, you know, we talk about Kendrick Lamar's, um, I just, to pimp a butterfly. Are you? Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. So his, uh, or, I guess effectiveness is the right word mm-hmm. for it on spreading that message that, Hey, mm-hmm. this still exists and I'm here to talk about it. And it's, he did it very effectively, obviously one of the biggest albums in the last decade. And J. Cole kind of following the same trend. So there's obviously still a crowd there for that. And I think the crowd is going to get bigger as this generation of rap, you know, that had so many, so many downfalls and so many flaws in it. Those continue to get exposed more and more. Yeah. And it'll be very interesting to see where the genre kind of continues to go, whether it will maybe revert back to some of its older tactics just in general of sound but you you never really know and and it could be a completely new sound that hasn't even really been introduced yet 
it'll be interesting to see where the genre goes. And I'm looking forward to it, mostly looking forward to it because obviously we spent maybe 10 minutes, the last 10 minutes discussing how the last couple of years in hip hop have been a lot darker. And like you were touching on, it's just going to be nice to get to a lighter period of that. Um, yeah. And also the just hip hop in general has been much more socially and politically active, which I think is really good at reaching these younger bases. Cause we've been talking about the whole episode. You have a lot of young listeners and listeners that can be easily influenced in a lot of ways and can even learn a lot of things through listening to this music and listening to some of these artists. Right. The last thing we'll close out with, give me Christian Barzi. Yeah. Give me your most in or your most influential slash favorite generation okay. of rap and then throw out maybe, you know, two, three albums that, that have really stuck with you. Okay. So I'm going to go with, yeah, I'm going to go with the easy route for me. And that's, I'm going to say the 2010s. And I have three albums that I'm going to say that stick out. One of them, the first one debuted in 2010. And that was Kanye's My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, widely regarded as one of the best hip hop albums of the decade in general. This album had it all. It had a lot of very, very well-produced music and a sound that Kanye had kind of perfected throughout those first couple years and his first couple albums. And this album was kind of the culmination of all of that. And so I'd say My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, not only very influential, one of my favorite albums. Also, we haven't really discussed Mac Miller at all, but yeah. his album Swimming is probably my favorite hip hop album of the decade. Definitely the one I've listened to most just cause it has that funky sound to it. And I love that funky sound and just the, to go along with the hip hop sound that I'd say that was just maybe not the most influential, but probably my favorite. And then we just touched on to pimp a butterfly, or I guess that could be interchangeable with an album like good kid, mad city for just the political undertones, the social undertones, um, and the fact that Kendrick was not afraid to discuss these really big issues. And also, and those two albums in general are also re regarded as some of the best albums of the decade. So that's what I would go with. Let's hear what you've got. Yeah, so kind of to piggyback on that, um, to me, the most influential and genuinely the the generation of rap that I truly enjoy the sound of the most was that late 90s, early 2000s sound. Okay. Um, okay. Especially talking in terms of the West Coast sound. I like that, the, you know, the beats and the way the music was put together from those guys. Um, and I, weirdly enough, I kind of throw Kendrick Lamar's Good Kid, Mad City. Oh, yeah. Sort of in the, even though it came. He's got know, a West Coast sound. Over, over a decade after that he's got that sound to him and he's got the same theme behind it like mm -hmm. trying to send a message so being influential um so in terms of generation i gotta go with the late 90s um some albums that that stuck with me the marshall mathers lp i'm admittedly oh, yeah. a huge eminem fan that was the first <laughs> i mean that was our childhood eminem was our yeah childhood. i mean he was the first rapper that i just fell in love with i downloaded pretty much all of his songs like 
he was, yeah, he was just the guy then. You know, everyone loved him. Uh, that one, I don't know if you're familiar with Andre 3000. Oh, baby. Yeah. One of the best. One of the best to ever do it. Yeah. He's, I mean, I can't even narrow in on one album of his because he just had bangers from all of his albums. And he's another, you know, 90s guy that I truthfully enjoyed. Um, boy, the... The Mac Miller is hard to pass up. One that we haven't talked about yet that I would argue is one of the greatest hip-hop albums of all time is Kid Cudi's Man on the Moon. Um, A very different sound to it that came out in that generation, that kind of the same, you know, era as the Kanye West. And that's actually a very highly regarded album, especially in terms of, of sales and the numbers it produced. And, you know, Kid Cudi's a character within himself and, you know, honestly has a good message in a lot of his songs as well. But that album, I if if I had to put a number to how many times I'd listen to that through, it's definitely in the hundreds. Like to me, one of the better albums out there. So when you talk more recently, that's probably my go to there. Just the euphoric and the nostalgic sound of that album i can't necessarily pinpoint man what it is about man on the moon it was a completely new sound that hadn't been introduced yet but every time i hear those songs oh it's just nostalgia it is nostalgia the pursuit of happiness like that song itself there is i don't think there will ever come a day where that song is not just a great song that is going to be used for you know, different promotions, different mm-hmm. movies, different videos, like truthfully, one of the most influential and best hip hop songs ever made. And again, coming in one of the newer generations, like, you know, everyone likes to likes to make that argument that the old school rap is the best rap, which I in general agree with. But that album was one of the best ever by far. And with that, Easton, you want to take us home, close out the episode? Yeah, I will. Um, I got to give a Barzy rating. So, you, do. you know, we you didn't have get to do too, it. Uh, too wild in this episode, a, a pretty serious episode, but yeah. a great topic. Um, you did good today, kid. I mean, I, I can't, you yes. know, you did, you did good. You brought some facts to the table. You brought some good insight. I I don't have any complaints. You offered some some things that I myself didn't think of, which you know that just usually doesn't happen because again I I'm <laughs> leaps and bounds leaps and bounds quicker than you with this stuff. Um, oh, I hate doing this, but you broke the nines today. I give you a nine point. Woo! Yes, I've been hot. Right. I've That's been hot to start level. out. Almost guarantee it. I can almost. <laughs> But for those of you who don't know, Barzi is uh, he's pretty good with his music across all genres. He he knows it pretty well. He's he's well rounded. I knew he was going to be good this episode. So I was expecting the eights. You showed out a little bit. Nine point one. Great job, kid. Uh, And and all I got to say is I'm thinking you're going to bring something crazy to the table for next episode because you're going to want to see me fail you're going to want to see me fail next episode i need to get you back down in that three to four (laughs) range so 
you know, we're going to, I, we're going to bring something to the table. That's going to keep you on your toes, which okay. you just can't stay on them. So it's overboard time. You, you know, you're done next episode. It's nothing but failure. I can assure all the listeners out there, he will be horrible next episode. Be sure to tune in. So, you know, you can hear me just, just devour the conversation. <laughs> Love to hear it. And with that, we will come to a close of yet another episode of You Wouldn't Get It. Guys, check us out on Twitter. Check us out on YouTube, which is more low-key right now. We're working on kind of getting it up and going. Um, also available on SoundCloud, SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We're all over the place, so check it out. We got great social media content. You don't want to miss it. And with that, we hope you guys enjoyed the episode and we look forward to seeing you next week.